Hi folks, welcome to the Worldwood Station podcast with myself, Worldwood 2 Explorer, Lawrence Waller. In this episode of the Worldwood Station podcast, we hear veteran Peter Davies recall his wartime experiences serving a number one troop of B Squadron of the 1st East Riding Yeomanry as a gunner on a Sherman tank during the Second World War. He had originally enlisted the RAF as a wireless operator, but then was transferred to the Army, which at that moment had been desperately short of wireless operators. Having landed on D-Day, he and his crew fought all the way through to V-Day, where they finished up in the area of Byersbosch. They were incredibly lucky, as despite suffering several glancing blows, Bandit, Peter's tank, was never knocked out. This episode is the first of a few instalments from this interview that I did with Peter back in December 2019. It's been split into a few different parts, of which I'll be gradually releasing on the podcast over the coming few weeks. Anyhow, without further ado, let's dive right into our latest instalment here on the World Nation podcast. The army was short of wireless operators, and I transferred from the RAF. It's not a thing that is usually possible, but because of the shortage, it was allowed. So I served uh, nine months in the Air Force as a wireless operator air gunner, transferred to the army, and joined the uh, East Riding Yeomanry, a former Yorkshire Cavalry Regiment, formed in 1817, and uh, served with them from um, 1941 up until the war ended. So I spent a, a number of years in the East Riding Yeomanry. I served in B Squadron, which was uh, a group of 60 men in the squadron. We'd trained for something like 18 months to two years, uh, doing exercises in Great Britain. We did one off East Coast, East Anglia, and then uh, suddenly, after a matter of few weeks, we were all moved to Scotland, to Northern Scotland. And we couldn't understand, having done an exercise off the East Coast out into the North Sea of, and coming back in landing from our landing craft. And then suddenly the whole regiment, tanks and all, were put on a train and sent to Scotland, which sort of baffled us all for a while, until we were told that the coasts of Northern Scotland, facing north, the tides were roughly the same as they would be on the Normandy coast, which also faced north. So we had that session in Scotland uh, about nine months before the invasion. And the idea was to practice, get used to the tides and the different types of landing craft that we had. There were landing craft, infantry, landing craft, tanks and various other ones and all the different units met up and tried this exercise uh, off the north coast of Scotland and that was uh, roughly nine months before the invasion. We were then moved back down to the east coast area and then finally to the south coast area where we took off from. And um, because we had uh, tried the coast uh, in Scotland we were aware of what our tanks were capable of and what they weren't capable of. And so the exercise proved worthwhile 
because of the tides and the effect it would have on our swimming tanks, the DD tanks. Um, they had only a canvas screen held up by brackets and struts which they could deflate and drop down on the landing. At the last minute we were taken off the DD swimming tanks and went in with basic standard tanks waterproofed up to about four feet of four or so of water and uh, as I say the practice in Scotland had because were simply because of the tides that we would meet and prepare us for what maneuvering the tanks ashore would be like and um, we were lucky the landing was extremely good we had um, HMS Warspite was behind us and we were being shelled heavily at the start of the landing and it turned out that the RAF had bombed guns at Le Havre the night before but one gun was missed and this gun was still firing at us as we landed but HMS Warspite was behind us and they fired a salvo and knocked out this gun and it was fascinating to see a huge battleship behind us rock over in the water when it fired a salvo and we talking to some of the sailors off the warspite a couple of days later they were saying the captain ordered them to fire only half salvos because if they fired a full salvo it was smashing the crockery in the wardroom so that put up a face of that but to see this massive battleship which was behind us fire a salvo and completely rock backwards in the walker and then quietly straighten itself up again uh, it fascinated me i was watching that more than the, the particular landing but as i say we were being fired on by one gun from the lahav area but we landed okay and uh, were very lucky we only my regiment only lost one man on d-day sadly he drowned I didn't know him. I'd seen him a few times in the regiment, but uh, sadly he would he drowned. That was our only casualty on duty. But on the seventh of June, we met up with the Panzers, the German heavy tanks. Um, they were heavier than ours. They were stronger than ours, and had a bigger gun than ours. So really, we were having some rare old battles. But we then had one tank called a Sherman Firefly, which was mounted with a heavier gun than the rest of us. The rest of us had the standard Sherman gun that the Americans had fitted into it. And the Firefly was capable of firing at longer range and with a more powerful gun, because all the German Panzer's guns were more powerful than our Sherman guns and therefore we could get hammered at long range when half the time we couldn't even reach them with our shells. So it was a bit of an uneven battle for a few days. As I say, I lost uh, 11 men on the 7th of June, friends of mine, and um, that was our biggest shock. Uh, the invasion wasn't a shock because we practiced and trained so much for it. And as I say, we, as a regiment, we were lucky on D-Day. But the following day, when we met up with the heavy panzers, uh, we really got hammered that day. And as I say, I lost 11 of my friends. 
Thank you for listening, and also a big thank you to Peter for allowing us to visit and sharing his experience with us. Peter sadly passed away a year later following this interview in December 2020. He did thankfully write his experiences down into a book called World War II and Me, and I'll post some info on the website about his memoir for anyone wanting to learn more about Peter's experiences. As mentioned earlier, stay tuned for more from Peter as I'll be releasing a few other parts from his interview soon, and I'll also be sharing more info about some of the various things mentioned in this episode. So check out the World Station Podcast website as well as our social media channels for that. You can find all this by following us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube at World Station, and also Instagram at World Station HQ, or visiting our website, www.nation.com. And if you wish to help support the World Station Podcast, please do subscribe and leave us a review, as this is always greatly appreciated. Alternatively, you can also go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash www.nationhq. A link for this is in the podcast bio below. And there you can discover more about how you can get involved with podcasts, including being able to have your sound topics you wish for me to cover in future episodes, and even sneak previews where we look ahead so you can have the opportunity to fire in questions you would like me to put to our guest speakers. Looking ahead to the next instalment here on the World of Station podcast, I'm joined by Battleful Guide historian and presenter of World War II TV, Paul Woodarge, as we turn our attention to the 2nd Battalion, Royal Ulster Rifles, and we look at their experiences fighting in Normandy in the summer of 1944. And specifically, we do that through the eyes of his great uncle, Lieutenant Cyril Rand, who's a platoon commander with C Company. Anyhow, until next time, this is Lawrence Waller signing off for this episode of the World Station Podcast.